Acts 2, verses 41 to 42. Acts 2, verses 41 to 42. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those. You can turn to page 531, um, and that'll get you where you need to go. You'll find Acts 2. Uh, 2 is the chapter number. That's the big number. And then verses 41 and 42, those are the smaller numbers uh, in between the, the words and sentences on the pages, Acts 2, 41 to 42. Uh, we're beginning a new sermon series this morning called Devoted. Devoted, and, and the um, specific text that we're going to be looking at and serving for the next six Sundays is Acts 2, 41 and 42. Uh, we're going to make kind of regular trips outside of Acts 2, 41 and 42, but uh, to, to kind of see um, the, the things that, um, the practices and, and the callings of the church that these verses um, describe and, and call us to. But for the most part, we're going to be camping out here, really digging into Acts 2, 41 and 42. Um, we're going we're gonna to be doing this for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, um, some of you guys are new Christians, uh, some of you guys are new Christians, you're, you're a bit newer to the Christian life, uh, and, and that's okay, uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of uh, in that, but these verses lay out for us what is and what has been for the last 2,000 years, the, the norm, the, the pattern of the Christian life. And what you'll see when we dig into this text is, is that what takes place is, is uh, the, the people in this text, they, they hear the gospel, and they believe this gospel. And so what they do in response to hearing and believing the gospel is they are baptized and they become members of this church in Jerusalem. And uh, within this local church community, they devote themselves to the Bible as it's taught to them by uh, their, uh, their leaders in the church, the, the pastors, the, the apostles in that church. Uh, they fellowship with one another. They share life together and they're, they're generous toward one another. Uh, and, and they observe the Lord's Supper regularly. They devote themselves to what's called the breaking of bread, and they, they pray and sing together. They devote themselves to this, this shared life. That's the, the biblical norm, the, the, the pattern to this day. You know, you hear the gospel preached. You believe that gospel. You're baptized. You join a church. You devote yourself to the corporate life of that church uh, as the, the church revolves around the word, the fellowship, the table, and prayer. That's the norm. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Another reason that, that we're doing this um, is because, uh, you know, many of you have had specific questions. We, we've had conversations um, uh, about the many things addressed in these two verses. Uh, you know, some of you guys have been Christians for a little while, but you have a lot of questions about the church. You have, you have a lot of questions uh, about what your relationship and responsibility to the church should look like and, and why you should be baptized and um, what is baptism and, you know, why, why does this church... Um, only permit those who are Christians and baptized as Christians to come forward to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, why, why do you have corporately planned out and, and uh, recited prayers together and, and, and things like that in your gathering? This, t- this text addresses um, things like submitting to and sharing life with a church family, uh, baptism, Lord's Supper. And so I hope that if you have any questions about these sorts of things, uh, that, that they're answered humbly and clearly in this series. Another reason that we're doing this series is because uh, if, if you should ever move on from this church, um, you should know what you're to look for in a church. Um, and so, you know, some of you are kind of in a transient stage of life, whether that be because of school or job or, or whatever else. Uh, and so in all reality, many of you will likely, um, at some point in time in the next several years, possibly be moving on to another city or, or possibly be moving on to another church. Um, and, and so... If that's the case, then you need to know what you should be looking for in a church should you move on from Veritas. Um, you, you need to know uh, the, the, the practices that a local church is supposed to devote themselves to. Or, or maybe, you know, you've been around for a little bit at, at Veritas and, and you haven't committed to us yet, but you've just kind of been attending for a little while and, and, and checking things out. Uh, and for whatever reason, we're not, you, you're finding we're not the church for you. And, that, and that's okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're not the church for everyone. Um, there's plenty of just wonderful churches in the Dayton area that, that we could get you connected with, and, and we'd be delighted to do so. Uh, but there are also a number of, of unhealthy churches and false churches and, 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 and uh, 
you know, damaging churches in the Dayton area. And there are churches devoted to entertainment and, and just having sweet light shows and fog machines and, and cool things like that, and, and churches that are pursuing their own vision or the culture's vision for what a church should, should look like. And so, uh, you know, all, all over and against this, this biblical vision, this biblical norm. And so should you move on from Veritas for any reason? Uh, you, you need to know what a biblical church looks like. And a biblical church is, is a church that practices accountability and care for one another uh, in a community uh, as they're devoted to these practices of word and fellowship and baptism, Lord's Supper, and, and prayer. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, there, there are many other reasons, but, but we don't have time to go through them all. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to take six weeks to look at these two verses, Acts 2, 41, and 42. And this morning, we're going to look at this particular word, devoted. Devoted. We see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So what does it mean to be devoted? And, and what should we be devoted to? And why should we be devoted to it? Answering those sorts of questions. Then next Sunday, we're going to unpack what is meant by uh, the apostles' teaching in Acts 2.42. The third Sunday, we're going we're to spend time looking at uh, what is meant by the word fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. What does that mean? The fourth Sunday, we're going to take a trip back into verse 41 and see uh, how one is added into this fellowship um, and, and that how being baptism. And then the fifth Sunday, we're going to look at what is meant by the breaking of bread. This is the title that Luke gives the Lord's Supper in this text. Um, and then uh, we'll finish on the sixth Sunday of this series, the last Sunday of this series, with looking at what is meant by the prayers. So that's where we're going. Um, but let's for now dig into Acts 2.41 and 42. If you want to stand with me as we read God's holy and precious word. And uh, we're looking at verses 41 and 42, but we're actually, let's start with uh, Acts 2.22 and read all the way through verse 47 in order to kind of give some context to this. Um, you know, we're, we're a church, we, we don't want to strip uh, verses out of their context. We want to read them within the context that they're in so that we understand them rightly. I know that it's a long portion of text, but um, in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says that we should devote, devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So that's what we're going to do here. We're, we'll do just that. Um, let's listen with reverence and joy, for this is the voice of our God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children 
and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, after reading the description that Luke, the author of Acts, gives this church in Jerusalem, there would be very few of us in this room who would not uh, long to belong to a church like that. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would be at work in our midst as we dig into these words, your word, your spirit-inspired words, that you would um, massage them into our hearts and, Lord, work them into our hearts, pierce our hearts with this word so that we would also be a church that is devoted, that we would also be a church that's devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, sharing life together, having all things in common and just being together. We'd be a church that is devoted to baptism and the Lord's Supper, that we'd be a church that's devoted to prayer. And not as an end in and of themselves, but that we would be devoted to these things because uh, we are devoted to knowing and being known by you, because we are devoted to, to communing with you and enjoying you and beholding you and, and worshiping you. Would you work that in us during our time together in the next six Sundays and even this morning, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, it's very um, common today for people to think that organized religion is different from spirituality, true spirituality. Uh, these two things are often seen as antithetical to one another. You know, you have organized religion and spirituality, and never the two shall meet. They are antithetical to one another. You know, organized religion is dead and rote and unhealthy, and spirituality is sleek and, and, and healthy and, and fresh and, and new. You often hear people say things like, I'm spiritual but, but not religious. Um, and really, this sort of mindset is as American as apple pie. Uh, this, it's, it's, it's a mindset that's uh, very, very American. It's kind of like this John Wayne sort of mentality. John Wayne once said, I like God until he gets under a roof. That's, that's the sort of mentality we have about spirituality, about religion. Uh, it's a sort of lone ranger, I get to define it myself, sort of spirituality. And, and this is increasingly not only something that we find outside of Christianity, but, but often is, is the mindset of even professing Christians themselves. More and more, professing followers of Jesus are beginning to view the Christian life as, as something um, that's, that's private, very, very private. It's just me and Jesus. I, I don't need the church or teaching or baptism or the Lord's Supper or pastors or church services or corporate prayer, any of that. All that is seen as rote and unhealthy and archaic and dead. Spirituality, on the other hand, is expressed in any number of ways. I get to define it myself uh, and practice it the way I think best. Me and my two buddies will just meet at Starbucks every week and discuss the latest Christian book. My family and I will just stay home every Sunday and watch TBN, the televangelist. Uh, say some heretical things. Uh, I'll worship God on the golf course every Sunday morning. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, and I get to define exactly what that means. 
But biblical spirituality, Christian spirituality, means to be filled with God's Spirit. It means to be filled with God's Spirit. It means to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling you and making you part of his new creation project that he ushered in through the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we see happen in Acts 2. This this small gathering in Jerusalem, they received this this new birth, this being born again. They received this spiritual life from the Holy Spirit. They they received the spiritual life within them. But you know what's interesting is that after they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, they don't all then go their separate ways and get to define what the Christian life looks like for them. No, they devote themselves to the corporate life of the church. It's a fascinating story, really. In Acts 2, the Spirit descends upon the church. He fills the church. He gives the church the new birth. And it's a really big deal. Um, you know, it's often referred to as Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost. So originally Pentecost uh, in the Jewish calendar was a feast day that took place 50 days after the Passover. Uh, but we remember it today as the day that the, that the new covenant church was birthed, was brought into existence by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he's poured out. He, he falls on this church in Jerusalem. This church was, they were together, they're having a prayer meeting. And, and the church, as they were praying, all of a sudden the Spirit shows up. Imagine that. And uh, it causes a big ruckus. And there was a noisy sound that filled the room. It sounded like, like wind. And it says that it looked as if tongues of fire rested above the heads of the apostles and, and the rest of the church. And they all began to speak in other languages. They all began to speak in, in multiple languages. And it was supernatural. Like they didn't know these languages beforehand. They started speaking in all these different languages. And um, what was going on in, in Jerusalem at that time with, with Pentecost brought thousands of visitors all over the Roman Empire. Thousands of people who spoke all sorts of different languages brought them into Jerusalem in town for this, this Jewish feast. And many of them ended up coming to, to witness this, this event, this, this Pentecost, this uh, birth of the, the New Covenant Church because uh, the noise and the ruckus that was caused uh, from the Holy Spirit coming. And so they come, and, and, and when they show up, all these these uh, men from Galilee were, were uh, preaching the gospel in their, in their own languages. They could hear the gospel in their own languages. They heard uh, th- this church telling in their own languages the, the, the story of God's grace and his glory uh, through Jesus Christ. And, and so they're, they're puzzled. They're, they're confused about what's happening. They actually think that everyone is just super drunk. And, uh, and, and that's not the case. They were filled with the Spirit. So Peter stands up to explain to them. What's happening? And when he does, he preaches a sermon. He preaches a gospel, an expositional sermon from the Old Testament. He's, an expositional sermon means to uh, preach a sermon that exposes what the Bible says. He preaches a, a text um, in Joel and from the Psalms, and he preaches a sermon. And when Peter preaches this sermon, the, the thousands that had gathered there, they come under deep conviction. That's what we just read about. They, they come under deep conviction. The Spirit pierces their hearts with the truth of the gospel. And they cry out in response to the gospel. They say, brothers, what shall we do? What should we do in response to this message? And to this question, Peter responds with very particular instructions. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, all who the Lord our God calls to himself. And Luke concludes this description of this event, the significant event of Pentecost, with saying, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The crowd was filled with the Spirit. They believed the gospel, and they were baptized and joined this church. And then what does this spirit-filled, gospel-believing, baptized church do? They don't go worship God on the golf course. They don't go home and watch TBN. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what a spirit-filled church looks like. Those are the practices, those are the, the habits um, that a spirit-filled church gathers around. Okay, so you know, do any of those practices surprise you? 
the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, we, often, we wouldn't often think of ourselves as being devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, and they were devoted to the prayers. That's what this early church devoted themselves to. And, you know, we often refer to them as, as the early church because they were just that, but they weren't just that. They were a spirit-filled church. They were a spirit-filled church. And we're a spirit-filled church, right? We, we believe the gospel. We call Jesus Lord. We, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. We've been born again by the power of the Spirit. So how should we live? What should we do? How should we order our lives together as a church? Let's unpack this text and see. The big idea being communicated here is this. The spirit-filled church is devoted to the means of grace because she is devoted to Jesus. The spirit-filled church is devoted to the means of grace because she is devoted to Jesus. And we'll unpack that in three steps, and and we'll define some of these terms that might be unfamiliar to you, but but we'll unpack it. Three steps, a spirit-filled church is devoted A spirit-filled church is devoted to the means of grace, and a spirit-filled church is devoted to Jesus. First, a spirit-filled church is devoted. Now, what does it mean to be devoted? Uh, We we see that this church in Jerusalem was devoted, but what does that word devoted even mean? Well, just yesterday, I went to the OSU and Army football game, and um, man, that may be surprising to you, I know, because I'm not like the biggest sports goer. Uh, uh, but a friend of mine had access to this box. We sat in this glass box, and I ate chicken wings, and I watched uh, this game, and it was, it was really cool. Um, it was my first football game, actually. It was pretty fun. Uh, but, but one of my favorite parts was the, the, the people watching, the people watching. We, we tailgated beforehand, then we walked in with all of these people that were dressed in red, and then we, I, I sat in this booth, and I just watched all these people. Um, and, and if you ever want to see what devotion looks like, goodness, um, there were people there doing the most peculiar things and wearing the most peculiar things, people walking for miles uh, because they couldn't find parking. People painted themselves scarlet and gray, and they, 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 did, they cheered and jumped up and down, and, and, and they clapped their hands, and they raised their hands in worship. I saw one guy literally closing his eyes and raising his hands after a touch. He was, he was having a worshipful experience, and people sat for hours in these uncomfortable seats, and, and, and they were devoted. They were devoted. Many people do this every single week, now, having lived in Columbus, I lived there for three years, and I, I know this for a fact, people even kind of order their lives around this event every single week. People are obsessed, and they do so in an ongoing, sacrificial, disciplined manner. I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm, I'm serious. And I just read uh, this story this last week about this devoted fan of another football team. His name was Pellerin. It's an interesting name, and, and at the time, uh, this book was written in the 90s, at the time of the author writing it, um, Pellerin was 87 years old, and he'd recently just attended his 750th consecutive USC football game. So in 69 years, he had not missed one Trojan football game, home or away. Even on one occasion, he had an emergency appendectomy, got his appendix taken out, and uh, just five days before a game, and uh, he was still in the hospital. He was still in the hospital on Saturday, dangerously close close to missing this game. Uh, and so he actually goes to the nurse and said, "I'm I'm just going to go around, take a walk in the hallways." And he leaves the hospital and he goes to the stadium to watch this this game, this this Trojan football game. And when someone asked him why he would do such a crazy thing, he responded, "It's just part of being a fan. Just part of being a fan." And while very few people, you know, go to the extremes that this Pellerin gentleman would would go to, as I just saw yesterday, people still go to fascinating extremes because it's just part of being a fan. And yet often when a church calls people to sacrificial devotion, they're often told that they're just being legalistic or cult-like. But how on earth could we say that we believe the gospel and convince ourselves that we're called to anything else, anything other than radical devotion to Jesus and his people? 
It's often more acceptable, even in Christian circles, to order our lives around a bunch of 19-year-olds playing a game with a ball than to order our lives around Jesus and his people, the corporate life of God's people. But the Spirit beckons us to this. We've been filled with God's Spirit. You know, hobbies and and interests like football and, and other things, knitting and all sorts of other things like that, they have their place, but our devotion, our devotion goes elsewhere. Ray Ortland says about this verse, this very verse, Acts 2.42, he says, when the early believers converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit him into the margins of their busy lives. They redefined themselves around a new, immovable center. He was not an optional weekend activity along with the kids' soccer practices. They put him and his church and his cause first in their hearts, first in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, first in their very lives. They devoted themselves. Unmistakable evidence that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Spirit-filled Christians devote themselves. They they don't fit Christ and his church into the margins of their already busy lives. They reorient themselves around Christ and his church and his cause. And this devotion is disciplined, it's sacrificial, it's ongoing. It's it's disciplined. You know, this, this word devotion here is actually related to the word discipline. Uh, or, or one of those words that's really hot right now. It's, it's related to the word disciple. We love that word. In fact, at, at this point, the church had just received the Great Commission just like 10 days before this takes place. Matthew 28, 19 is, is where we see the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples. You see the connection between the word discipline and disciple there. Disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Kind of see the connection between the words in that verse and the words and the verses that we're exploring here this morning. And so with those marching orders fresh in their hearts and fresh in their minds, this is how they applied it. This is how they applied the Great Commission. This is how they were making disciples of Jesus. They were a community of disciples, community of, of disciples. And Jesus was their, their discipler. He was their Lord, their master. They were a community of disciples because they were giving themselves to these practices in a disciplined way. Now, often today, we, we just think of discipleship as, as just like a mentoring relationship. I, I can't tell you how often I hear people say discipleship. All they mean is just like a mentoring relationship, being mentored by someone. And, and you know, th- those sorts of relationships can be good. I- I'm all for them, and, and I-, I have many relationships like that, and I-, I think they're very great and beneficial. I'm a big fan of them. But the Bible just simply won't let us reduce discipleship to being mentored by other Christians. That's not what that means. Discipleship involves baptism and teaching. Discipleship involves life together in a local church community. Discipleship involves the Lord's Supper and and oversight from other Christians. And it involves giving ourselves to these practices in a disciplined way. It involves devotion to these things. And this devotion is habitual and disciplined and dutiful. But it's not only disciplined, it's also sacrificial. Devotion is sacrificial. It's another thing this word devotion is getting at. It's not just setting a small but manageable amount of time aside every week to, to, to give to Jesus and his church. It involves giving your time, giving your talent, giving your treasure, even when it hurts sometimes, even when it's a sacrifice. You know, I think we often think that this, this early church, they just had all this time on their hands and they devoted themselves to these things because they just didn't have anything else to do. And they weren't as busy as we are. They didn't have juniors soccer practice and boy scout meeting. They didn't have princesses ballet recital. They didn't have full-time school, full-time job, and, and all the rest of the excuses we give for why we're so busy. You know, true, they, they didn't have any of those things. They were just busy trying to survive. I mean, the level of poverty common in the Greco-Roman world at that time would lead us to believe that these people worked long hours, long amounts, long periods of time, really just to have a meal for that day. And, 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 and not only that, but 
doing really basic things like preparing a meal and, and going to the temple to pray and, 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 and sacrifice and giving, being generous to someone, having them over for, for dinner. It just was, was a great deal more complicated and time-consuming than we could even imagine today. You know, they didn't have electric ovens and refrigerators and, and cars and all the other modern conveniences. And so to gather together daily in their homes, going to the temple together daily to pray, sharing their goods with with one another was a great deal more sacrificial than we could even imagine. But nonetheless, they were devoted. They were sacrificial. But then not just that. You know, what good is discipline and sacrifice if it's only for a short time? What good would, would all of that be if there's no perseverance, if there's no continuation of this kind of devotion? And that's actually why Luke describes this devotion as an ongoing, continual thing. We don't, we don't necessarily see it in the ESV translation. The KJV communicates this word devotion from a, a slightly different perspective. The KJV says uh, that they continued steadfastly. It was continual. It was ongoing. They persevered in their corporate life and practices together. You know, it wasn't a flash in the pan or an overnight sensation, here today, gone the next. They, they kept going. They persevered in their devotion. They were faithful. They showed up day after day, week after week. And, and I, I, I know that like in our information age, gathering together, doing the same thing with the same people every single week, singing, praying, sermon, Lord's Supper, singing, praying, gathering in city groups, praying, reading the Bible together, eating together, doing these things Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week, on and on. It's incredibly countercultural. And we're being conditioned through media and entertainment to value the new, the, the new content, fresh ideas, new data. We want the new, the novel, the fresh. But, but here we're called to, to ongoing, continuous devotion to Christ and his people in these ancient practices. You know, last week, my, um, my Sunday school teacher that I grew up with, she died uh, after a long battle with, with cancer. Her viewing is tonight, the funeral's tomorrow. And uh, you know, I've just been thinking about her life and her legacy. And I've just, it's, what's been so impressed upon me as I've been thinking about her uh, was this, this devotion that she exhibited. I mean, she was, she was devoted to the church that I grew up in. You know, she, she, she showed up for worship on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. She showed up for Bible study on Wednesday. She, she taught Sunday school. Uh, e- even when there was no one else to do it, she would just step in and do it. She was devoted. She showed up for, for Wednesday Bible studies, for p- midweek prayer meetings. She showed up week after week, year after year. She did this for years. I don't remember a time growing up when she wasn't a meaningful, sacrificial, devoted member of the church that I grew up in. There are good times and bad times. She faced some bad times. She faced some hard times. She was faithful. She was a model picture of continual, ongoing devotion. What a life and legacy to leave behind. Devotion, disciplined, sacrificial, ongoing devotion to Christ and his people. We need to move on. But now, what are we called to be devoted to? What are we in a, in a disciplined, sacrificial, ongoing sort of manner, what do we devote ourselves to? You know, these, these people in Acts 2, they were filled with the Spirit, they were baptized, and they devoted themselves to what? They all went their separate ways and devoted themselves to having really good quiet times. They all devoted themselves to worship God on the golf course or in the woods by themselves. They all devoted themselves to being really good moral citizens. No, they devoted themselves to the means Write that down. That's an important term. Uh, often in our particular church culture, we refer uh, to these sorts of things. Uh, you, you hear them commonly called uh, like corporate or communal uh, spiritual disciplines. Does that sound more familiar to you? D- spiritual disciplines, corporate, communal spiritual disciplines. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Some of you, yeah. Some of you, no. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Um, 
So corporate spiritual disciplines, these kind of corporate practices that we give ourselves to when we're gathered together, things like the public reading and preaching of scripture, things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, things like praying and singing together, corporate spiritual disciplines. And that's, that's a good term to use, not a bad term. Uh, obviously, we are called to devote ourselves to these things, and, and we're to do so in a disciplined way. So spiritual disciplines is a perfectly good way to describe these practices. They are spiritual in that uh, they, uh, they are the way in which we commune through the Holy Spirit with God. Um, but nonetheless, they, they are also disciplines. We devote ourselves to these things. But I think it's better if we use the term means of grace. And I think that for a number of reasons, uh, chief of which is the fact that, that it puts the emphasis on the reality that God is the main actor in these practices, not us. God is the main actor in these practices, you know, we, of course, we devote ourselves to them. We are not passive in it. We're dutiful, we're disciplined, we're sacrificial. It's ongoing. But God is the main actor uh, when we gather and, and devote ourselves to these disciplines. When we gather to worship and devote ourselves to these practices on Sundays, God is the chief actor among us. He's, he's the one acting mainly, not us. He is ordained and he is committed to using these means to accomplish his gracious purposes in the church. And that's why it's better, I think, for us to use the term means of grace. And so a succinct definition of the means of grace could be this. The ordinary ways through which God builds his church and grows us as Christians. The ordinary ways through which God builds his church and grows us as Christians. The ordinary ways. This is, this is where God has promised uh, to meet with us and, and to, to give us grace and to grow us as Christians. He can use other things, but these are the things that he's promised to use, okay? These are the things that he's promised to use. The ordinary ways that God communicates, they're ordinary because they're the ways that God ordinarily works in us in the Christian life. They're the ordinary ways that God communicates his grace to us, and they're listed here in Acts 2, 41 and 42. Apostolic teaching, Christian community, fellowship, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and prayer, the Holy Spirit works through these means to build his church and to grow us as Christians. The Holy Spirit, he works through his word being preached to, to initially just make us Christians. We hear the gospel. That's how we become Christians. Romans 10, 16, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We hear the gospel and we become Christians. That's how we become Christians. And then he continues to use these means of grace to grow us as Christians. He gives us grace through these things to cause us to be more like Jesus. You know, God is very much alive. He's not distant and indifferent. He's very much alive and very much at work in and through his church. And the way that he's working in and through his church is in these means, these means. You know, you, you want to see how God is most powerfully at work in the world today. Look at a local church fellowship where the Bible is faithfully preached where they practice baptism, the Lord's Supper, and that praise together. And you have your answer. You have your picture of where God is most powerfully at work in the world today. There's no doubt in my mind that this is true. Now, if you're a Christian and you were to come and tell me that you were struggling in your Christian walk, if you, if you were to come and tell me that you were lacking assurance of your salvation, if you were to come and tell me that you felt like you weren't growing as a Christian, the first thing I would probably ask you is, are you availing yourselves to the means of grace? Are you devoted? Are you practicing? Are you showing up for these means to commune with God, to know God and be known by God? Are you, are you availing yourself to these means? Are you regularly hearing God's word preached into your ears? Are you fellowshipping with other Christians? Are you receiving the Lord's Supper regularly? Are you praying? These are the means through which God builds his church and grows us as Christians. In the coming weeks, we're going to walk through each one of these means to unpack you know, what they are and why we, we should be devoted to them. We'll look at apostolic teaching. The Spirit-filled church was devoted to the preaching ministry of the apostles. So the apostles were those who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry and who witnessed his resurrection, and they wrote the majority of the New Testament. Uh, but one of the things we see about them in the book of Acts is that they were preachers. Uh, you know, this book is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it could just as well be called the Sermons of the Apostles. There's 19 sermons in the book of Acts. And this church filled with brand new Christians in Acts 2.42, they were devoted to this teaching, this teaching from the apostles. They were hungry for God's word. 
And we're called to the same today. We're called to the same today. We're called to devote ourselves to, to reading God's word, to, 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 to hearing it proclaimed, to obeying it. We gather weekly to devote ourselves to this practice. We, we gather together in, in city groups regularly to, to discuss and wrestle with what was proclaimed. We read the Bible as families and as individuals, and, and we discuss, we, we read books with good biblical doctrine. We discuss them with other Christians. We're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're devoted to the Word of God, because when we're filled with the Spirit, we're made hungry with God's Word. That, that's, that, those two things are are absolutely connected. When you are filled with God's Spirit, you are made hungry for God's Word. The Spirit makes you hungry for the Word of God. But then the Spirit doesn't just use this teaching, the the Bible, to lead a bunch of Christians to become really doctrinally competent, really big heads, big brains filled with lots of information. It doesn't lead us to do just that. The Word being proclaimed creates this, this fellowship, this fellowship. And so next, we'll look at the, the word fellowship. This is a word that often gets abused, right? We often use the word fellowship, but we use it in cheap and, and flimsy ways. We, often, we all, all we mean by fellowship is just socializing. We call board game night, fellowship night. We have fellowship halls in our church buildings, and we call hanging out before and after gatherings fellowship. As one author puts it, he said, we reduce fellowship to idle chit-chat over steaming cups of coffee. But fellowship is much more than that. Fellowship is, is much deeper, much more sacrificial than just mere socializing. The kind of community that the Word of God creates is an intimate and sacrificial community. That The Word being proclaimed forms a local church wherein people share life together wherein people are generous toward one another, where they know and are known by one another. The word translated here as fellowship is is koinonia. It's a word often translated as like participation or communion. And we often say the Apostles' Creed every week, we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the fellowship. We believe in this oneness that we have with one another. In Christ Jesus, we are made one with one another, and that leads us to love and care for and share life with and sacrificially devote ourselves to one another, be generous toward one another. In Acts 2.44, this fellowship is simply described this way. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Notice he doesn't just say, like, they got together a lot. They were together together. So much that he just says they were together. I can't even, they were together more often than they weren't. So I'm just going to say they were together. Can we be described in that way? Are we, are we truly involved in each other's lives? Are we knowing and, and being known by one another on that sort of deep, intimate level? Are we spending time together with one another in each other's homes, eating food together? Are we knowing and being known by one another? Even to the point where it's uncomfortable sometimes. And not only that, but it says that they had all things in common. It's communi- communicating their, their sacrificial generosity toward one another. They, they sold their possessions and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. The things, you know, the, the, the things that they had, they sold so that they could be generous toward one another. And the things that they did keep, they shared with one another. Are we sacrificially generous toward one another with our time, our giftedness, our possessions and finances? And next, we'll look at baptism and the Lord's Supper. These two things are often referred to as the the ordinances or the sacraments of the church. Jesus ordained them and gave them to the church to practice until he returns. Baptism is the means through which someone is brought into fellowship with the church. Verse 41 says, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So baptism is the way that they're added to the church. So all those who heard and responded to to the gospel in faith and repentance, they were baptized, they were added to the church. You know, baptism is is the practice in which a professing Christian is immersed in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, as a sign and confirmation of their salvation in Christ. Jesus ordained this practice and he gave it to us to assure us of our salvation as a church's practice of affirming a person's salvation, as as a Christian's practice of announcing to the world that they are a follower of Jesus. This is God's chosen way of identifying those who are citizens of his kingdom and members of the fellowship. It's like a birth certificate, only more important. 
Uh, we'll also look at the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is the title that Luke gives the Lord's Supper here. Notice the definite article, the, before breaking of bread. This is the meal that we take part in every single week as a church that we're about to take part of in a few moments. Jesus ordained this meal, and he gave it to us as remembrance of what he's done for us on the cross. as a present means of communing with him as a way that we look forward to his return. And like baptism, it's a means through which the church uh, identifies true followers of Jesus. Baptism being the way that the church does that initially, the Lord's Supper being the way that we do this in an ongoing manner. And so we'll close, uh, after that, we'll close the six-week series looking at the prayers. Again, notice the definite, the definite article before the word prayers, the prayers. So this is referring not to just private prayer and, and, and people's personal devotions at home, although I am sure that they did that as well, I guarantee it. But the prayers would refer to their corporate prayers and songs that they sang together when they gathered. We see this throughout the book of Acts. We see that they gathered in the temple daily, so they were praying these traditional Jewish prayers. And not only that, but they, they, uh, we see in Acts 4 a prayer meeting in someone's house where they prayed through Psalm 2. They were praying the Psalms. They devoted themselves to the prayers together. And these were the practices that the Spirit-filled church devoted themselves to. These are the practices that Spirit-filled church still devote themselves to today. You know, fish swim, birds fly, dogs bark. Christians devote themselves to the apostles' fellowship and, and the, uh, to the, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Being devoted to these things is evidence of genuine conversion. It's evidence of our being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of our salvation in Christ Jesus. So it's worth asking, are you devoted to these things? Are you sacrificially devoted to them? Are you in a disciplined way or in an ongoing way? Are you devoted to these things? Are you devoted? Do you, do you enjoy practicing these? Do you, do, you, do, you look, do you long to hear the word of God proclaimed into your ears? If, if you are filled with the Spirit, you are hungry for the word, Christian. You, you want to hear God's word. You want to devote yourself to God's word as it is applied to your life in the church that you're a part of? Are, are you submitting to and sharing life with a, a fellowship of believers in a local church? Because being filled with the Spirit places us into the family of God. We're, we're placed in the family of God by the Holy Spirit. Do you find great joy in the Lord's Supper? Or is it just this thing that you mindlessly do every week? Do you, do you, are, are you thrilled? Are you moved by the Lord's Supper? This is not just a, a, a flimsy thing that we, this is not a flimsy, whimsical practice that we give ourselves to. This is a weighty event that we take part in every single week. We devote ourselves to the Lord's Supper. Are you, are you, are you finding uh, joy in this meal? Are you, are you finding joy in singing and praying? Are you devoted to singing and praying with God's people? We're, we're, we, we do this every Sunday. We do prayers and we sing songs together. We're going to start uh, having prayer meetings every single Tuesday, starting this Tuesday? This Tuesday. Uh, so c- come out to, to that. It's in the bulletin if you want more information. We, we devote ourselves to these things. We devote ourselves to prayer. And listen, there's just no category in the Bible for a kind of Christianity that's not devoted to these things. There's no category for it. If you say you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not devoted to these things, I'm sorry, I just don't know what you mean. Christians are committed to these practices in a disciplined, sacrificial, continual manner. These are, these are the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity. Without devotion to these things, I'm, I'm not sure that a life could truly be called Christian. Not that your devotion to these things is, is like you offering your works up to God in, in, in exchange for salvation, not at all, but it's an expression of your salvation. It's an, an expression of your, your love for Christ, your devotion to Christ. Just like in marriage, you can't say that you, you love your spouse, never communicate with them, never enjoy intimacy with them, never listen to them. You, you, you can't say that, never express your devotion to them and expect to have a healthy and lasting marriage. We devote ourselves to these things because they are the means of hearing from and enjoying intimacy with and communicating with our Savior. Christ ordained these means that we might know him and be known by him, which brings us to our last point. I'm going to close very quickly. Ultimately, we're not devoted to these practices as an end in and of themselves. 
we're devoted to these practices because we're devoted to Jesus. Spirit-filled Christian is someone who's been rescued and forgiven and saved by the grace of God alone and nothing else. And we were, we were miserable failures. We were blind and deaf and foolish. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were defeated and helpless and totally unable to do anything to save ourselves and to bring ourselves to God. But Jesus, God in the flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, he came down from heaven and he put on flesh and he gave himself for us on the cross. He devoted himself completely to us in, until death, until death on the cross, shedding his blood for us. While you were an enemy of God, Christian, while you were a rebel opposed to God in all bitterness, speaking against God, living against God and his goodwill, Christ loved you. He gave himself for you. He bore your punishment. He died your death on the cross. And he rose again. He's in heaven now. He's seated at God's right hand, praying for you, pleading for you, making intercession for you. And he sent his spirit to fill you, to give you the same sort of devotion to him in response to his radical devotion to you. So Christian, in light of all that Christ has done, a Christian is one who beholding this, this great love says, this is love so amazing, love so divine, it demands my life, my soul, my all. I, I give all to you and my devotion to you, God. I, 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 I can do nothing else in response to everything that you've done for me, Jesus. That's what a Christian says. Man, if we, if we truly believe the gospel, we're bound to come to that, right? We're bound to come to that. How can you believe that you're a sinner and, and believe in the judgment and believe in hell and believe in, in God's grace, saving grace, and be content with giving yourself to anything less than radical devotion to Jesus and his people? It would be impossible. It would be unnatural to give yourself to anything less than that. This devotion is an expression of new life. The life of God within the soul of man inevitably expresses itself in this way that it did in the spirit-filled church in Acts 2, 41, 42, because we're filled with the same spirit. We're, 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 we're still called to the same kind of devotion, the same order of life. We're still following the same Savior and King we're devoted to these same means of grace because he commanded them, he ordained them, their practices in which we meet with him. They he's the one that they present to us. And ultimately, our devotion to these practices witness to, our, uh, to his worth and, and, and his grace and his glory. So I ask you, are you devoted? Are you devoted? devoted to the means of grace, these communal spiritual disciplines? Are you devoted to the apostolic teaching? Devoted to, to baptism, the Lord's Supper? Are you devoted to the prayers? And are you devoted to these things because you're devoted to Jesus? Are you looking to him? Are you devoted to following him? Are you devoted to pleasing him? Are you devoted to resting in him and hoping in him and him alone? This is how the life of God and the soul of man has expressed itself from the beginning of this new covenant church until now, and it will until the day that Jesus returns. This is the Christian life. This is the truly spiritual life. May we devote ourselves to the means of grace in our deep devotion to Jesus. Let's pray together.